0: For the longest time, we've only financed personal and professional projects by acquiring debt. But what if, the same way investors bet on super early stage business ideas, we could bet on high potential people through an income share agreement, regardless of what these people decide to do in their lives? Equity-based financing for people is barely talked about, yet Sam Lesson has been thinking about this idea for years, and he believes it's one of the things that can soon disrupt the big picture of the internet. Sam is the kind of person you go to to get a sneak peek about what the next couple decades are going to look like. It's likely he'll blow your mind in a conversation. The guy is just different how he thinks about things. He's a general partner at Slow Ventures, a VC firm that invested in companies like Slack, Dropbox, Pinterest, and hundreds of others. Sam also writes for The Information, and he built Drop.io, which was sold to Facebook, and that led him to become Zuck's VP of Product. Now, co-founder of Finn, he's instrumenting and optimizing the future of work. Today, we talk about the logistics behind equity-based financing for people, the sweet spot between logical and crazy, what being early or late really means, and how AI can improve knowledge jobs. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos latam. Sam, it's funny because we've known each other for a while now. And I kind of look at you as one of these like really clear thinkers. And I got a lot of questions for you and stuff that I'm genuinely curious to hear from you. So yeah, it's always fun when you have a, a guest that where you're like, I really want to talk to this person. I want to learn from them. So oh, I please. think our, <laughs> I think our audience will also appreciate that. And I also see you as someone that kind of like has a little peek into the future. Like if I kind of know want to know what's gonna happen, I'm like, what is Sam kind of thinking about? And so I still remember when you came down to Brazil and we hosted you at our kind of product and engineering, the Beers and Bites. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, that, that um, was that was fun. Yeah. And uh, you kind of blew people's minds. It was funny because I was talking to one engineer that used to work for me the other day, actually our, our former CCO, And he was like, he was still like remembering that. He was like, he brought it up, you know? So you obviously left an impression. But I, the biggest question I have for you right now, just to kind of kick things off is, I'm glad the family's doing well, but. How is your horse zigzag doing? You know that's a great question.
1: Um let me find out. I don't think my horse is doing great. Let's find out. <laughs> Let's see how my horse is doing.
0: Can you give some context for people that are imagining this like thoroughbred at your uh, <laughs> at your San francisco house <laughs> like give some context about zigzag for the audience.
1: My horse zigzag, so there's this game that's kind of an n f t e type game called like z dot run where it's basically like it's they basically modeled horse racing as like this online game with real money right on in, in the crypto land where you basically they there's some genesis horses that were you know you could buy and you can buy and sell horses in you know on discord basically and your horse is like something you own it's like uh you know you basically you own the hash of the horse and, on the blockchain and then you basically race the horses and you also um, can breed the horses to create more horses. People like pay you stud fees for the horses. So I got excited about this and like, but I'm not like that into it. I mean, people it's been going incredibly well. I mean, it seems like people are very into it, right? There's like, they've been selling tons of horses. The races are always going on. It's like, it's pretty wild what's happening. The problem is like anything though. It's like, don't do things, you are not a specialist in it's like, I want a horse. So I went on like the discord and it's like, I want to buy a horse. None of them are for sale. Someone's selling a horse. And so I bought like a horse for like I don't know like a thousand bucks or something. But of course I bought like the shittiest horse. I just like its name (laughs) Zigzag, but it's like a it's like a it's like there's a whole hierarchy of like how good the horses are and like you breed them up and down. I do have a Genesis horse, so I think Genesis horses are cool Uh, and it looks cool. It's got a cool name, but it's like a it's if you like get into it, it's like it's got like it's like a Z nine. What you really want is like a Z one. Maybe there'll be like a Z nine racing league someday. I don't know.
0: So your horse is kind of getting smoked then.
1: Well, my horse is not even, I have not been racing my horse. I should race my horse right now. I'm going to like race it while we talk, but I've not, (laughs) I did put my horse out to stud. I was like, anyone want to stud with my horse? But apparently I set too high a price. No one wants to pay my stud fees. Um, (laughs) My my horse, as with most of these things, has been a purely money losing activity
0: so far, but whatever. (laughs) Amen. It's a fun. And I think that that, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about this and it's, learning experience of kind of understanding and, and jumping in and kind of playing around and seeing what you learn. I mean, this whole NFT thing is is pretty wild. And I think it's a cool transition to just like maybe crypto in general, because I want to talk to you about one thing that kind of more serious topic. I was in a clubhouse chat and I heard you chatting about this kind of equity based financing for people. Yeah. So share the idea behind it and what needs to change for that to become more mainstream. Well, are we talking crypto? Are we talking, talking equity? Where do you want to start? <laughs> two different themes. Yeah, I think the two themes are, they're definitely different. They're related. I'm going to talk about something probably that I think I can get my head around a little easier, which is investing in people. Let's do equity. That's the thing that I know as to not appear like a complete neophyte in the questions I would ask you around oh, crypto. Please. Let's focus on that. Everyone listening, probably still trying to wrap their head around that. And then I'll send That's some... Silly. Re-
1: I think there's I, I like I think this is the type of thing that like it's worth I think that people need to take this stuff more seriously. Like there's some people who take it very seriously, and a lot of people don't take this stuff seriously at all. I think the reality is usually in the middle. So just it is more interesting and serious than I think most people realize in terms of how people think about value and assets in the future as we kind of move forward. Um but yeah, I agree. Mean, That's a whole separate discussion. The equity investing people yeah. is like look, it's pretty straightforward. This is my favorite idea ever. I think it's probably the most disruptive thing that can happen with the internet. Big picture, among many huge disruptions, which is if you think about how we finance our lives, right? And like people, you only can borrow debt. There's debt. Like you can borrow money, you know, historically, right? And like use it to go to school, educate yourself, start a business, whatever, right? But it's like it's it's all debt based. If you look at companies, there's obviously debt and equity routes. The debt route is look, if you have an established business, some people will be willing to lend you money at some rate, right? Um, if you're really big, debt's super cheap. It's actually an incredibly great way to finance things if you understand exactly people understand how they're getting paid back, et cetera. Because the market, lots of people are willing to lend you, especially right now. So debt can be very cheap. But most businesses like VC Land, where I've grown up and what I work on, like, no one's gonna like. There is no such thing as cheap debt or really even debt availability, right? Uh, for crazy startups, right? What you do is equity models. You say, look, I don't know how this is going to go. So you're probably going to lose your money investor, but if you don't, you'll make a ton of money and that kind of offsets it. So you share in the upside and the downside. And so if you unwind for a second, like, how do we end up in this place for companies? Like, forget people for a second. Let's start with companies. You know, for thousands of years, there's been debt. Right. This idea, I'll lend you some money. I have no idea really what you're going to do with it. I'll try to understand whether you'll be to pay me back or not. You know, ideally, you do pay me back, but like I don't have the information necessary to really understand how or like I can't account for what your upside is. I can't even really value your business or your life or whatever. So, like, it's the low information strategy. The low information strategy from a financial market is to lend money. Now, what happened? What happened was several hundred years ago, right? There started being these opportunities where people like one couldn't borrow money because it's way too risky right this started with like shipping right you're like we're gonna like go whaling or shipping right and like ship some stuff like the boat's probably gonna sink right but it might not right so there's no way i gonna lend me money but here's a nice thing i was thinking about with a boat is like you send the boat out if the boat does come back and it comes back with oil or comes back with like you know like tradable goods or whatever it's super cool. I can actually value it all because like, it's literally on this ship coming into the harbor. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my ship. Let's go look at the stuff and split up the booty. Right. So it's like, super measurable. I right? think this thing people miss about the history of finance a little bit. It's not just about high risk creating equity and like joint stock companies. It's also about measurability. Right. So you're like, oh my God, the ships come in. Like, let's split up the booty and you end up with a totally alternative finance model the original venture capital, which was literally like shipping stuff around the world at high risk, where there was huge returns if it worked, right? And what's cool about that is it creates a whole new set of activity that could never have been possible before because like the debt markets and the family could never have accommodated those types of activities. Fast forward a few hundred years, the internet, okay, and where we are today. Well, there's a few key things going on. One is measurability has gone way up. So like are like, Brian, what did you make last year? You know, the government kind of knows from taxes, like, you know, what are your equity positions worth? Like, this would be very expensive for everyone to evaluate and even keep track of like, oh my God, I invested in 20 people. Where are they? What are they doing? Like, how do I communicate with them? Like, very hard to accommodate pre-internet. But with the internet and measurability and communication, all of a sudden, it's not crazy to be like, oh my God, like, I can keep track of tons of people and what they're up to. And therefore, all of a sudden, like that measurability thing starts to work. And then the second thing, which is probably even more important, is like no one has careers anymore, right? This idea that like, I'm gonna be like, okay, here's the deal I'm gonna go get this certificate or go to this university, I'm gonna go work at IBM or wherever, and like I know exactly what I'm getting paid for the next 20, 50 years, and like it's all kind of very tracked. That's gone, right? Which means that it's way harder to think about borrowing money or even lending money to people. Because who the hell knows like what they're going to be doing over time? Like that stability is gone and what it's been replaced by actually is if you do well, you can do so much better than you ever could have done before, right? Because of technology and the leverage of of finance and and tech. But a lot of people don't do that well or like they, they, that, you know, you don't, you kind of like, it's much more like people think about their time just as their money It's much more of a venture capital model than like a traditional career model the question is how do you finance that like very big picture right And <laughs> i think the answer has to be equity investing for people right which basically looks something like what i do already i mean you know we have a, we i'm one of the gps of a fund, slow venture is a half a billion dollar early stage fund what are we really doing we're betting on people and we're betting on ideas we're starting to just do this directly with people we're saying let's not we don't have to bet on the company like literally like brian you're awesome you like want a million dollars right to either take some time off or hire someone or learn something or whatever like i'd rather just invest directly in you right and then if you do really well i can take a small percentage right like a seed amount like three five percent whatever and if you don't that's that's fine you know like you have that and like basically you let your super winners pay for everyone else and and There are like so many reasons this now makes sense. The creator economy, right, where everyone's like soloing it, or or, you know, in terms of like how they're approaching it. You know, these guys have no access to capital, which is what you'd want to grow, build a team, or whatever, because no one's going to lend to them, really, right? And like, there's no there's no company to wrap them around, so getting them access to capital makes sense. Entrepreneurs, you want cheap capital? I would rather invest in the basket of things you're doing forward right, than like a specific idea, especially if you're super early, right, Um, you know, as another framework. So I don't know, there's like, kind of going all over the place, but there's like a lot of trends that are coming together right now, which makes it micro equities, right, which really resolves to a person and their effort, which resolves to wanting to give people more options, right? Because I kind of believe that, especially in this economy, the ultimate currency is freedom. Like if you have to go to your job every day, you don't have the time or space or energy to be creative, which is where the real outcomes come from anyway, right? And so the more we can be like, look, like... And then I think you can even go even crazier and talk about, like, what's the future of UBI? Everyone's like, oh, man, basic income, that'd be sweet. Like, look what happened with Corona. Like, everyone got these checks. In some ways, we'll see what happens. But interesting period in terms of popularizing the concept of just giving people money this is kind of like the private market way to do that. Right. Yeah. Create more options for them. A set of entrepreneurs, we're financing our first creators. We're basically saying, look, we'll write you a check for million bucks, 3 million bucks more for, you know, up to, up to max 10% of your future earnings over a long period of time. Right. And like, we'll just be aligned with you. Like we don't, we want you to maximize what you want. There's no control. Everyone's like, this is indentured servitude. Like it's the opposite of indentured servitude. It's indentured capital, right? Like indentured servitude says you have to do something for me. Or mm-hmm. produce a literally, you don't have to do anything. Like, if you decide to do nothing, well, that was a pretty dumb investment decision on my part,
0: but like, we have no control. It's just like seed investing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that people are motivated, you know that they're incentivized to like increase their own wealth and opportunities. I mean, not, not,
1: not everyone is, but like, there was historically this conversation. It, you know, I started talking about this 20 years ago. I bought the, the domain lifecapital.com in like 2000. And I was obsessed with this idea. I think I partially got into college because I was like the debt burden and like we need to create options for people and freedom and like, you know, high-risk capitalism. And like, I got really obsessed with this way too early, right? But back in then, people were like, ah, the problem is the people who want to do this are the people who are lazy, right? Like they're going to just take the money and send them to cash. Look, there are lazy people in the world, but I think the world we see now is like, Yeah. Like if you invest in those people, that's your own damn fault. Right. Don't invest in those people. And that's not how most people
0: behave. Like if you give most people a shot, they're going to take it. Right. It's not like you're going to like, that's my view at least. I love the optimism there. And like, it really resonates. I mean, there are people that just want to make stuff happen. And if you're able to give them the kind of the financial security for them to take the risk. And do you think VC has just become less risky? Like, In general, I mean, this is this sounds like a more risky idea. Most people hear this, they're like, "This is really risky." But what do you think about the asset class? In I don't think it's risky. Actually, I get it. I like it, and I want to double click on like the creator economy and entrepreneurs and kind of those two buckets because they might be a little bit different. But do you think, in general, that the VCs are less risky than historically they were?
1: The reality is, is the one macro fact about the world is there's no growth, right? There's no growth, and when there's no growth. Then people go do riskier things, looking for growth, <laughs> right? Is like the quick version. So you, you see what's happening in VC. I don't. Know. I mean, like, look. On one hand, you have the big VC firms, right, that are plowing ridiculous amounts of capital into companies, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of valuation and whatever. And like, it's a great business model, and people want to keep giving them money because we're also going to put it, right? I think that maybe is getting less risky in certain ways. I mean, there's also more seed financing than ever in history, which. Is it more risky or not? Well, on one hand, I'd say people are way better at starting companies now than they were 10, 20 years ago. And the reason is because like there's just been a lot more examples of entrepreneurship done right and poorly. I actually think like the whole approach to it, there's more data. Like people have more access to actually get advice on how to start companies. So like I'd actually argue in some segments, starting companies have never been less has never been less risky and will just keep getting less risky because there's a class of companies and approaches you can take. Where you can just follow the playbook, right? And I think that's that's going to keep happening because so it's pretty low risk. But the low risk things are also priced as low risk things, right? Which means as investors, you're like, wow, that that is a good idea. That will do well, and it's priced to the moon." I think if you're looking for real leverage and and upside, you know, with that, then almost by definition, you don't have to believe in efficient markets to believe that like the crazier things are cheaper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. You don't sugarcoat about how hard it is to build a startup, right? We both. I've done it before. We know how just how difficult it is. And I saw you mention somewhere when you were talking to somebody about investing in really, really early, which clearly, when you're investing in people, you're investing early. Like that's like as early as it gets. You said something to the effect of they have to be weird enough to be startup founders, but also sane enough to actually build good companies. So, what's the magic kind of question that you would ask founders to see where they kind of fit in that, where they have the right amount of crazy?
1: I mean, like, look, I think a lot of it comes down to, like, what are they even pitching you? Right? Like, um, I think that's, like, a really good indication. Like, I think what they should be pitching you should be pretty nuts, right? Ideally, right? Then how they pitch it and their own sense of self and humility and, like, I think is, like, the other part. Which is, like, when you can find a really sane person pitching you a really insane idea, like, that's what you want. Like, that's what I want right like um but like you obviously don't want the opposite you obviously don't want a completely insane person pitching you a super boring <laughs> thing right like but if you can find a person like you're really fucking sane and logical, and i get you and i get why you're doing this like if you have great answers and you're like this is a very reasonable person and you're like what you're doing is fucking crazy
0: right like that is like then i get excited i love that um so <laughs> So we know that you like crazy people and we know that sane people with crazy ideas. Let's go back to the creator economy a little bit. So let's take a step back from the entrepreneur. Well, let's we, before we, we do that,
1: I mean, I'll just say like, look, you want a good example of that. Literally today, yeah. I don't know when you're going to put this out, but like today is the day that Coinbase is going public. Yeah, yeah. This Brian's been, like, complete. But, yeah. Without Okay, well, Brian's completely sane. Like the guy who found it, like, yeah, you're really sane. Like you're a smart operator. You're a good guy, whatever. If you go back to the starting of Coinbase, you're like, this is fucking crazy. You're going to like, trade these like semi-legal, unlisted, maybe securities, maybe come out, who knows what this is, where people are buying like a scarce unit of digital hash. Like that's nuts, right? And it's going to be a monster IPO. It's like, great. Insane, insane idea at the time
0: with super sane team. Great. (laughs) Did you get to pick up any Coinbase?
1: Uh I have some through the funds I'm invested in personally but not yeah. nowhere near enough.
0: I, I almost bought a ton of it a few years ago which obviously would have been good but that's okay. We got other yeah. we got other wins. We we, we all have those uh, many moments. Of maybe them. not maybe not the maybe not the Coinbase moment but you probably have a couple of those. But I have definitely missed far many magnitudes more of opportunities than I've hit but I've also hit some good ones. <laughs> yeah. No you you have Let's talk about this kind of this creator economy and this distinction between, because I remember talking to you a couple of weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about, I think that just to draw the connection, a lot of our audience is from Latin America. One thing that I think is a big challenge in Latin America is that the capital base, I have a friend that started an education company called, called Platzi, where I uh, invested. And we were discussing the other day, and he said, Clubhouse could never be built in Latin America. It'll never be built in Latin America. And obviously that like pissed off a bunch of people from Latin America because they're like, why not? We can, you know, we're inventive, we're creative. But I think what his point was that no investor will take the kind of crazy wild bets. And so, like, your approach at looking at this is like the exact opposite of a majority. Do you think that's because it's an early stage ecosystem and there just hasn't been one or two new bank Mercado Libre, and there hasn't been enough of those yet? Or like what constitutes an ecosystem where you can have that free thinking like that
1: uh well look i mean i think that, that, yes i i have limited exposure in south america first of all it seems like things are going pretty well like new bank is pretty awesome like you started a great company like, there are good companies i saw what, what's the, the guy from uh kazakh it was just like kazakh, on the yeah. latest list they, they yeah, seem yeah. they're doing N-Nico, well so, like, yeah
0: nico yeah
1: there's stuff happening you know i think i think it'll come along i mean i think there's basically. Two, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, probably two factors at play. One is you just, you need enough people, I think, who have been through the ringer and actually know how to build this stuff to be like percolating. Like, this is the fundamental advantage I think San Francisco continues to have. I'm a huge believer in the global markets, the distribution of this, like, it's going to get more global. But where else are you going to get such a concentration of people that have actually built this shit and know how to build things? It matters, right? And so I think you just need enough people with enough reps to like get better at starting companies. And like, I think that knowledge does diffuse, but it diffuses slowly. And like, there is plenty of information on the internet, but there's more, much more locked in people's heads. It's like, you understand like the growth teams of the last 10 years in Silicon Valley. It's like, they were all trained at Google and Facebook, right? Like, and like the ones at Facebook were trained at Google. Like, it's just like kind of this system, right? Where I think there's a lot of people and a lot of talent that has, that you just need time to build. So it's going to take 20 years or like whatever, but like eventually you'll have a critical mass of those people. I think that that really does move the needle. Um, that's one thing. The second is like, look, there's this like wealth effect thing that I think is like worth understanding. Like if you look at like crypto, you mentioned crypto earlier, like what's happened there. It's like, look, there's no question that if you look at like a lot of the weird shit that's going on and the experiments being run, like especially in the last years, it's like a lot of people made a lot of money on Bitcoin and then Ethereum they're comfortable with it and they're much more willing to experiment with money. <laughs> right. Than I think you are before you have that effect, you know, this is like when you're at a startup or start something like there's a lot of hard work, but there's also a huge lottery effects to it. Right. And every time a bunch of people win the lottery, especially if they're young, they then go out and they're like, okay, like I feel like I understand this industry. I want to invest in what I know. And like, I'm, I have a lot of money. Like, I'm willing to spend what seems like a ton of money on kind of random shit to experiment. Right. And I think that's where a lot of good stuff comes from. So it's like, there is a wealth effect component that I think matters as well. Right. So it's both like the buttoned up, like you actually need the expertise. And there's just like, it really helps to have a bunch of people running around as like super angels or like, you know, people who have more freedom effectively, which is kind of where you get back to this whole investing in people thing, which is like, you know, why is it if time and space to experiment and also even invest, uh, or, you know, experiment with money and time, it's kind of randomly distributed who gets access to it. But in a world of hyper discontinuous outcomes, it's incredibly valuable. So the more you can be like, look, I, you know, you weren't born in a rich family or like, you know, you didn't have some random windfall exit because you're at the right company at the right time uh, or whatever, but I can stake you effectively. And if you're super hardworking and whatever else you're going to do way better with that money than you do without it, I think is like an important thing to keep in mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And so let's talk about how you would go about doing that just cause it is a foreign concept for most people. Like, I mean, this is kind of fun. Like we were
1: inventing new term sheets and new approaches and like how it works. Yeah. Tell tell me
0: about the, the mechanics of it.
1: I mean, the mechanics effectively are, they're a little bit different if you're a creator versus an entrepreneur, but more or less what you do is you can't actually invest in a person. So you basically create like either an LLC or a C corp, right? Which like, and then you have the person assign effectively all their IP and and work to that vehicle, right? Um, For the next 30 years, right? People are always like, well, can it be shorter? Or like, what? It's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but it's super easy, which is like, if you want to do less time, right. Or like, then like the capital is more expensive. Like the more I can be like, like holistically, let's be aligned long-term. I mean, you know, you basically, I was going back to, you need for this to work and be cheap capital for everyone to be able to access and use. You basically need the Elon Musks or the Jeff Bezos of the world to pay for like millions of people that don't make it. Right. And so what you can yeah. ha- you have to not cap your upside, because if you cap your upside, then the capital is more expensive for everyone. Right. And so that's kind of the framework is like time you, you set up a company, you fund it, the person can do whatever the hell they want with it. It's their company, they you know there's no limitations. The only rule is you basically assigned your work, right? The value of your work to that
0: entity. And that's kind of how you set it up at a high level. I really think it's definitely one of those crazy ideas that you shouldn't uh, with a very clear thinker <laughs> attached to it. So like you're what you described in terms of your framework for the people, like, I think that you fit your own framework, which would make sense. What are the people that you're like, what does this look like? Can you talk about, have you started experimenting with this? Are yeah. you, who are the people no, we're you're, in you're meeting on with?
1: Several, we're in process on several of these. Um, and like they make sense, I mean, you, you need someone with some creativity, And then you'd be a little crazy to do something because it hasn't been done before, right? And like, I think that's like, and there's a bunch to figure out around it. But like, look, the writing's on the walls. Like, ISAs already exist. Like, I don't, I love ISAs directionally. I think that like, they're pretty rudimentary, right? The income share agreements where you basically say, look, rather than paying for a school up front, pay for it if you make, if we make you more money. Over a certain period, right? That's fine. Like I believe in that very heavily. That's a small percentage of where the world is going, but it kind of inches in the right direction. Um, you know, historically, people would say, you know, t- twenty years ago they'd say, like, look, this is a cute idea, but like when you go and work at a big law firm or a tech company, they're not going to hire your company. They're going to hire you, right? It's like this, like, lead, like no one's going to hire like an L. But the nice part about creators and entrepreneurs is like, they don't really have that problem, right? Actually, like most creators have a company or should have a company in front of them if they don't already, right? And things like that from a liability perspective. So the world is coming to this idea. This is going to happen. Um, the details matter. It needs to be done in a healthy way. And I think, I mean, I really think that in the next in 10, 15 years from now, this won't, it might not be ubiquitous, but it won't be,
0: seem crazy. Let's put it that way yeah I mean that's how good most good ideas are right i mean they start out with like it's a wild idea doesn't it's like too extreme and then slowly it, it becomes you know more mainstream and, and like i remember talking to enrique from brex like back in the yeah. day and i was like this kid is just like he's on another level he just it, it, the way he thinks i mean one i didn't have any liquidity to invest when he was starting his company but like it, it would make sense for someone like that where they're just brilliant and they're going to build something super impressive for you to You know, have a share in the upside. And maybe at that time, they need some liquidity to pursue their crazy idea. Or we'll just make them like, I mean, like,
1: look, there's also an argument that, like, look, you want, um, you know, this already kind of even happens a little bit if you think about how like secondaries happen, right? So, like, you know, this is like, it's like you're an entrepreneur, you're on some rocket ship, your investors, you get some offer to, to buy the company, right? Your investors like no, no, no. I don't sell the company. We want this to be enormous. Like, but you're like, I have no money. Like, I can. Can I have some money? And they're like, Sure, we'll buy some secondary, right? And like, it's like a, a little bit of de-risking, which then allows you to take a bigger risk, right? Is the way to think about it. Yeah. And like, be along for a bigger ride. I think this is like a different version. It's kind of like selling secondary before you have a
0: company. <laughs> Same <laughs> yeah. idea, though. Man, that's I've been thinking a lot about secondaries because some founders that haven't had liquidity before and. You worry about them selling too early just because the upside's enormous. But, like, if you're a founder, you've never had money before. Like, it's kind of tempting to just jump in and kind of cash your chips in because you've never experienced well, that before.
1: Yeah. And, like, I think this is also, you know, talking about the bigger version of the world and how this stuff works. Like, take obviously going crazy right now is an important moment. Like, take Bitcoin. How many of the people that were in Bitcoin in 2011, right? Or whatever it was, like earlier on, actually held bitcoin all the way through not that many right because all of a sudden when bitcoin goes from zero to a thousand and all of a sudden you have a few million dollars of bitcoin right you're like oh my god like i've never had money before this is like amazing i need it right or like i want it even right like it's a big unlock for people you know again, i don't know the math on this no one knows the math on this my bet is way too many people who really were true believers the numbers got pretty big and it was like irresponsible for them to not diversify or do level deliver to some degree. Whereas if they had some money already, right. They were like, fuck it, let it ride. Right. And they would have made 60 times more money or a hundred. And this happens all the time. This is why, you know, big funds that can hold on for long periods of time, like end up making such huge amounts of aggregate dollars. Right. Is like that ability to say like, okay, I'm secure enough. Right. Or like I can keep playing the risk game on things I believe is like one of the key advantages of of like already having money, right? Or like of being safe, right? In a way that like at least in America, like we don't have that net. Like people are like, oh my God, I have something like I need to
0: I need to cash in on it because it's dangerous not to. I think just to frame it real quick, it's just it permits you to just be super long term, right? Yeah. Real value unlocking happens when you're just like you're playing a different game than everyone, right? Yeah.
1: I think this is something that like, I heard from some an old guy a long time ago, right? Who, you know, his family was in the real estate industry. He's like, look, it's like the more money you have to your point, the longer term you game you play, right? Like if you have a little bit of money, you're playing, if you have no money you're playing for tomorrow. If you have a little bit of money, maybe you're playing for like five years from now, if you have more money, maybe you're playing for your retirement, right? Like you kind of keep playing out. He's like, yeah, this is from a real estate family. He's like, look, our family, we're playing like a five-generation game. They mean like we have so much money that like, it's not like, you know, we think in like decades or even a century, not like a year, right? And I think that like getting people to think longer term, which you can do through UBI, you could be like, look, we just deal everyone in so that everyone feels safer, right? And has more access to money. You could do it through better investing. You do it through kind of what I'm talking about, which is effectively staking people up front in their careers, These are all strategies to get people to be longer term thinkers, which, again, in a world of discontinuity, where things aren't guaranteed, uh, I think seems to be more and more important over time.
0: And I really love this because you're able to betting on the human kind of potential, right? (laughs) That's really fun and exciting because people can do amazing things. We've seen it time and time again. And if you give people the opportunity, it's like, imagine what really brilliant people can do that haven't had an opportunity to do it. So I guess that's yeah. part of your motivation. You said that you've been thinking about this for like 20 years, which is you are definitely like living in a different, a parallel universe to me because 20 years ago, I definitely, this whole concept, I would have never probably even understood it at the time. Where does that come from? And what is the most exciting element to you and why you're like deciding that this is going to be something you're going to double down on over the next kind of decade?
1: Look, in the end of the day, I think that one thing we've historically done for the last 30 years is people systematically underappreciate the impact of the internet, right? Just like systematically, because it is so crazy and so deep, right? That it's really hard to think about, right? And I think this goes in the place of like, okay, what does the superhuman superpower of being able to speak to everyone instantly for free, right? And like process all the world's data and remember everything, what does that change about society, right? Like, I, you know, I consider myself a technologist. I program a bit. Like, I'm not like, I am a technologist, but I'm much more interested in the social impacts of technology than I am in the technology itself. Like I don't get that excited about the bits. I'm much more interested in like, well, what does this mean for the world and how does this change how we live? Because we've spent literally like hundreds, if not a thousand years, building a whole world and in social ecostructure and way we relate to each other, the way we do things based on like a set of primitives or beliefs about how the physics of the world work, and we just shattered how the physics of the world work right like it changes everything right and so to me i think look we do plenty of SaaS software investing there's plenty of things we do that are kind of more traditional vc tactical but like the really interesting stuff and i also think the biggest business opportunity like holy shit this is like fundamentally different right like you know we've, we've been very active crypto investors right like why because like bitcoin you know we started you know i started crypto investing in like I don't know. I was one of those like class of 2011, 12 people, you know, I, like seated Ripple personally and like small check, but like still, and like, you know, was involved in that stuff. And like, you're just like, this really actually, this is crazy. Like, this fundamentally changes the world and like challenges a bunch of very core premises about how finance and how people store value in the world works. And like, that's worth betting on. That's worth investing time in. I think that investing in people fits at that level. Um, it's also good. Cause I, I like when you see something that like most people think is bad, but some smart people think is good. That's a great place to spend your time. Right. Um, and like, to me, I think this is, you know, we're finally at that point where like most people dislike this idea for one reason or another, but some people, oh yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So that's where I spend my time. Like when I can find themes that fit that, 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 uh, that paradigm like for me bitcoin was an obvious example it's like when i was first really got serious about bitcoin i mean most people thought it was a joke right but some of the smartest people i knew in the world would sit together and be like this is definitely not a joke right i'm like perfect i'm in
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that like uh wences casades was an angel investor in my company and he's probably one of those people that you mentioned like of the people in the world that actually held bitcoin all the way through i think he's been one of those people and i mean he 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 sat a bunch of people down, like at a conference, and he, they were moving two hundred fifty thousand dollars of Bitcoin to different people. This is what what I hear, and I mean that that probably was like a wake up moment for a lot of people. And you know, other people just haven't had that exposure. And I still have this discussion with my parents about Bitcoin, and uh, they're starting to warm up to it when they hear it on the New York Times, the podcast, the Daily but uh, it's a challenging thing. But the other personal investment decision, I, if you look at my personal tracker, what I've gotten right, what I've gotten wrong.
1: I think the other thing I've pretty consistently gotten wrong and like missed huge opportunities because is when I say something like, Oh my God, I love it, but it's too late. Right. Like it's too late. The reality is if you're in the right networks, your version of too late is still dramatically early. Right. So like, I think that like, that's another thing to keep in mind. Like, you know, there are things you are legitimately early to. And then there are things we're like, all right, like I-, I felt that way about Uber. Like I remember when Uber <laughs> was like a f- several hundred million dollar company. And I'm like, I love this. This is like everything I believe in, but my God, it's too late. It's already done. And I'm like, well, that would have been a great fucking investment at like $500 million. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> Man, I have the same feeling of uh, Rappy. I remember when they were raising a couple hundred million dollar valuation and it was just like, I missed it at this point, And now it's, But I mean, you get that feeling if you're onto the right sector or opportunity, usually there's a lot of upside. One, just transitioning real quick. So you've got a couple other roles. So there's slow, you've got Finn, but I want to ask you about one of your really important roles, which is uh, your internship that you have. Um, Ah. (laughs) For the listeners there, the information is like an amazing resource for a lot of entrepreneurs, investors. It's kind of one of the first like examples of like, incredibly good journalism in a specific sector like tech. And I just wanted to hear, you've got this kind of pension for writing and how did that all come about? And how did you get hired as the intern? Well, I mean, the, the simple answer on the hiring. My wife founded this
1: publication called The Information. She was, you know, veteran, Wall Street Journal reporter covering tech. I would argue probably one of the best in terms of track record of breaking news. And she was like, look, this is like, what, two 2000- thousand 13, 12, I think 12. She's like, look, I really believe in subscription model. Like I think people like high value subscriptions. the future. Like if you value information, you should pay for it. So I'm just gonna like go and start a publication with a few people that's super high-end, right? And it's people who actually value truth and reality. We're gonna go break a bunch of news no one else is gonna have, and people are gonna pay us for it. And when she launched it, like literally there were articles written making fun of her, like, like she was some sort of joke. This was like a ridiculous thing, and like This was in an era when no one was doing subscriptions. Everyone had been convinced by Google to just make everything free on the internet and monetize ads. And so this was like completely counterintuitive. Uh, It goes in the category, by the way, of like when everyone thinks you're wrong, except for a few smart people, that's a great thing to go do. I think this fits that category. So she did that. And a bunch of years later, it's a great business. You know, she owns the whole thing. She's built it from scratch. Because of that, there's no conflicts. Like it's her thing. And like, you know, they have, I would argue, probably the highest quality subscriber base in tech and finance out there right and i which is what they care about like the people who really care about this stuff read them um my internship well you know like it turns out that like if your wife runs a publication you can get the internship and uh (laughs) you know i'm not i'm the only non serious i'm not a reporter right like i just write opinion pieces or columns for them which they're now expanding i'm not the only columnist even but like just kind of my thoughts in the world what's interesting and i love doing it i mean for me um it's easy to bullshit when you're talking, you know, you can yada, yada, yada your way through anything. I, I like, the, I do. The reason I write is I write It's the discipline of like, I right, like, if I'm going to say something in black and white, which I can't change later, right. This is just what I'm saying. Right. And I'm going to do it. You know, I'm trying to make communicate it clearly. And by the way, I'm going to be held accountable because the people who are going to read or have access to it, like I care about, I care about what they think of me. I care about like, I'm going, it's like a, it's like a rigor thing. It's kind of like, it's like exercise more than anything else. So, I mean, I'm glad some people enjoy what I write, but like for, I really write just for myself, right? Where I'm like, look, I actually want to think about a problem, it's got to be in a format that's readable, right? And like not
0: bullshittable. And then it also has to be in front of an audience I care about. <laughs> is the way it's I would a think. high caliber audience you have, right? I mean, the, the expectation is pretty high. Like if you think of the people that read the well, information... It's, yeah and look know. i'm
1: wrong all the time i'm not you know what i mean but the key is like it's okay to be wrong as long as you're wrong
0: logically <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point it's a good point and i mean it's also stimulates debate and you get people commenting on it and then you get to a better yeah, position I learned maybe. So
1: much. when i put things out and i'm very wrong is when i learn the most right like that's when people of, are like okay like that's people edu- you know I, I put it out there and like in return i get educated
0: yeah no, that's great. Let's transition to the last kind of piece here, which is tell us a little bit about what you're building with Finn. What's the thesis behind it? And share with the audience so they know, because I think it's a super cool uh, business. Yeah, and I mean,
1: it's a really big thought idea. So so I started Finn when I left Facebook uh, with my co founder, Andrew Cortina, who founded Venmo. I was Venmo's first investor. We go way back. We wanted to work on a project together. And so we basically just did a second time entrepreneur thing. We are like, look, we're going to raise a bunch of money. And we're going to go experiment with human in a loop stuff. We're really interested in, we kind of think AI is bullshit, um, but we don't think that human in a loop, meaning like using software and tech and some light machine learning, et cetera, to augment human knowledge work is like the future. A bunch of years later, that's now standard. At the time, everyone thought that we were like, you know, six months away from self-driving cars, which is clearly bullshit. Right. Um, And so we went out and did a bunch of experimentation. And the thing we kept figuring out in the experiments we were doing, including this system we built is like, if you come from a pure software world, you're used to scientifically optimizing systems, right? Like you have instrumentation on everything, right? And so when you want to improve a system, it's you're basically like, all right, what's broken? What's the slowest query? Let's go fix it. Let's make sure it was fixed, center The second you put humans into a system, you know, customer service, operations, lawyers, you name it, you have no fucking idea. What's going on, right? Because like you, you have a process. You're like, was the process run properly? Like that was slow. Why? Like there's this huge data gap around. The, actually, ironically, the most expensive thing in the whole company, which is like the people, right? So, we basically built, um, you know, sitting on top of the browser, an instrumentation framework where we can measure by person, by task. Every single thing a person does to to solve uh, a case, to to fix a problem, to do their job, etc., and we use that data to help companies optimize people, process, and tools. Right. So we help them say like, where are your workflows bad? Where could you improve it? You know, where you know, uh what tools are broken that need fixing? What people need coaching on what things? So it's basically like That's how we approach it. And on one hand, this is not rocket science, right? Like this is how you improve. I mean, this is time and motion studies. This is six Sigma. This has been done forever. Right. Like, and this is the way you improve things scientifically. Um, On the other hand, it's pretty cool when you can do it from a big data approach. You know, if you sit there with a stopwatch, which is shockingly the state of the art in a lot of places, you're like, well, how do you do this thing? Like, can I help you make it faster? How does Bob over there do it? Can we learn something from him? Like people do it manually and it's mind blowing because it's super imprecise. (laughs) Right. And like, very hard, you know, to actually, you know, measure and optimize. Whereas what we do is we're like, look, super easy. Let's build an enormous data set of how everyone's doing everything. Right. And then let's be really smart about how we use that data to help
0: organizations perform better. And so that's what thin has become and it's going really well. So what's the kind of the most popular use case of the product and like, where are you in the, you know, there's a lot that goes in. I mean, mapping all of the things that you could possibly. I mean, that's like well, the like browser is
1: a <laughs> really cool secret weapon, though, because it standardizes so many interfaces, right? And the more you believe the browser, because the the answer is we're very far along. We have you know some really awesome marquee customers, you know, that have tens of thousands of seats with us and are running us continuously. You know, we help them optimize customer service operations and things like that. But the the big picture, like, what do you have to believe, right? Yeah. Like the really yeah. is simple, which is. Human, if you instrument things, you can improve them. No one's going to disagree with that. And in the future, 5, 10, 15 years in the future, if you go and you're doing a knowledge job, right? So like, you know, you're anything from an investor, anything when you're in front of a computer, your job is to do some sort of process in front of a computer or do stuff, whether it's email, I don't care what it is. You will not want to work at a company that doesn't instrument your work and give you continuous feedback and isn't using that data to improve it to. Like right now you're like, Oh my God, that sounds like big brother. I would never want that. Da-da-da. Bullshit. Right. Like in the future, it's going to be the opposite, which is like, you're going to be like, look, I don't get continuous feedback. You're not going to tell me how to improve. Like specifically, like my tools suck because you don't understand my process. Like, I don't want to work here. That sounds terrible, right? Like, I want to be focused on like, being the best at my job and like, optimi- and like having the best software and tools. And if you can't provide that, then I don't
0: want to play, right? So I think that's going to be a complete inversion um, wow. that's going to happen. Love that. Well, let's just to finish up here. I have one last question for you. How do you manage all of that? <laughs> like, like, every, I mean, we just, you're breeding horses uh, on the internet to building a, a crazy product that's. Create massive efficiency in these companies to a venture fund, and then you're investing in creators i'm I'm actually just curious because I have trouble staying afloat with my podcast and my angel investing and my you know everything else so like what is your secret here <laughs> partners uh, okay. partners is the
1: easy answer like i don't i mean I'm not a big believer in um i think the key is to know what you're good at and then do a lot of it um yeah. and then just work with great people like that means low ego right that means not like not everything is yours. Like you bring people around the table, you try to like work in communities, you focus on where the value is, you know, but like my basic view is like, yeah, I like doing lots of stuff and I believe that I like things intersect in interesting ways. And I learn through that intersection, et cetera. But like, at this point, like Finn has an amazing CEO. It's not me. Like I helped found the company, but I'm not the CEO. Like slow ventures. There's three of us that are GPs. Two great partners. They they do they they cover a lot. You know, like uh, the information is not mine. I'm just the intern. So like my kind of trade in life is I get to do more and and kind of cross pollinate. But the thing I don't get as a result is like I'm not the grand poobah of anything. And like I prefer <laughs> it that way. Like I think that's overvalued. Um, not by everyone. Like you, you need great
0: leaders. And like I think it's amazing that people do do that. But like that's the trade, right? Yeah, I like <laughs> it. That's uh, it's it's really clear in your kind of. You're honest with yourself in that. And uh, I think that you strike me as one someone that's just like too curious to do like you're always just like kind of picking it, looking at things. And and I think that's, you know, it fits your your personality in terms of your like just thirst for kind of information and and, and so I think that it's a smart way to kind of, you know, manage that is you you've got you've got a team, you've got a pe- you've got people you work with and you can kind of all support each other and it allows you to play in different spaces. So I think that's great. And community is important. Like that's one thing that I've really focused in at Latitude. And that's kind of what we're building is trying to build a community, everyone elevate each other. And that's part of the kind of the ethos of what I'm building. So man, thanks a lot for the chat. I think this was a really fun one. Always fun. I think people are going to love it. Thank you for listening to the Latitude podcast with Sam Lesson, general partner at Slow Ventures and co-founder of Finn. Be sure to check out latitude.com, to find out how to apply to our fellowship program and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Balmos Latam. See you next week.